The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, P.I.'s Declassified listeners. I must start out today by telling you about a number of conferences that are looming on the horizon. So get your pens handy to write down the dates and websites because I'm going to reel through these pretty quickly. The annual conference for the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators is next week, May 12th to the 14th in Tampa, Florida. If you need information, go to www.fali.org. California Association of Licensed Investigators Conference is June 9th through the 11th in Rancho Mirage, California, www.cali-pi.org. The 2016 World Conference, hosted by PI Magazine and the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators, is August 16th through the 19th at Lake Conroe, Texas, www.tali.org. And finally, if you can believe this, the Council of International Investigators Conference is in Gothenburg, Sweden, August 23rd to the 27th, www.cii2.org. That pretty much takes care of the summer. Also, a shout out to the folks at the National Association of Legal Investigators and conference host Harriet Gold. I understand they had a fantastic learning experience in Atlanta last week. So, with that out of the way, let me introduce you to a private investigator from Texas, my colleague and friend Mark Gillespie, order, owner of Gillespie Security and Investigations. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for hanging on while I did all that. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Looks like uh, we PIs have done a pretty good job of providing enough educational opportunities all over the map. Yeah, it uh, it keeps keeps growing, and we keep getting smarter, and it's great. That's it. We keep getting smarter. <laughs> so, Mark, you're a past president of the Texas Association and a speaker at the Texas Conference. What's your topic? It's going to be understanding, uh, basically, a, a forensic. A PI's Guide to Understanding Forensic Science. Oh, neat. Very good. And I know that, what a great segue. Thank you so much. I know that <laughs> you're a strong proponent of education. And please tell us how you initiated this undergraduate degree pro- program for forensic science. Well, my I have a master's in forensic science from George Washington University. I got that back in 1983 when... 
nobody really knew what forensic science was. If, if you heard of forensic science, it was probably from looking in your, you know, your yearbook, and it said the forensic team, which is nothing but a debate team. So um, not many people knew what forensic science was, but uh, um, forensic science has always been, a, you know, of great interest to me ever since I was, uh, you know, a little younger. And uh, so when I was in the Air Force as a special agent, I had the opportunity to get my master's in forensic science from George Washington and um, was real happy that I did that. And so I spent a a career in the Air Force. And then when I retired, I became the forensic uh, science division manager, director at Austin Police Department. And while there, I approached St. Edwards University, which is a small private Catholic school in Austin, and um, um, they were interested in, in, you know, having some guest speakers and lecturers, and so I did that, and I got to thinking, you know what, this school ought to have a forensic program, so I introduced, you know, just taking uh, a couple classes, you know, having them... uh, create a couple classes to let me teach basically introduction to forensic science. And, um, that just, you know, took off madly. And then I, I got with one of the deans and, and said, you know, we, we need to create a forensic science degree program. And so we did that back in, uh, 2000, by by 2003. And it turned out to be the fastest growing degree program at St. Edward's. And um, it was wonderful. I love teaching. I love forensic science. And it's a great topic. It's captured the, you know, the hearts and minds of, of you know, everyone, kids. What an inspira- That's great. What an inspiration. I, other states should take, take notes of doing that. That's just, just fabulous. Now, does that, um, just out of curiosity, does that... Uh, in any way apply to your licensing in Texas? No, it doesn't. No, okay. Okay, but you do have a, you do teach at a uh, PI certification program for North Texas U. Correct. Uh, University of North Texas created, uh, well, they have a branch called the Professional Development Institute, PDI, and PDI is uh, is a group that, provides certification for a number of different professions, one of which includes uh, private investigations. And um, I'm one of the, I guess you'd say, adjunct professors, one of the handful that that teaches a like a two-week block to students that enroll. And, and basically what, what the PI certification program through PDI does, it, it enables someone to uh, get their, meet the minimum qualifications for the state of Texas for PI licensing Mm -hmm. without having, you know, uh, years of law enforcement experience or a grad, you know, a uh, college degree. Uh, So it helps them, you know, kind of jumpstart their program by taking this, I think it's a 300 hour program and it's an excellent program. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's it's become very very popular here in the state of Texas. So once you have that certification under your belt, you can apply for a Texas license. Yeah, you can, and uh, 
you know, that's, that's one, one way to meet the minimum qualifications. You know, mm-hmm. as I mentioned a moment ago, the other mm-hmm. way is to, uh, you know, have law enforcement experience or, or have a, um, a, a degree. Um, but that, it, what you need to understand, though, is that's to become a, a company owner. In Texas, they have licensed PIs. A licensed PI is, is a owner of a investigations company. Um, I can go out and hire a high school graduate, someone who's 18 years old, to come work for me. He is not licensed, but mm-hmm. he is a what we call a registrant. So the, the minimum qualifications that I spoke of are, are only for uh, becoming a licensed PI, which is a company owner, someone who's, who qualifies to own and manage a PI company. Okay, and then do they have to have licensed investigators working in the company? They, they have to. Anyone that works for me, anyone that works for an investigations company mm-hmm. has to have their people, uh, their people are what we call registrants. Okay. And, and they, they can come from any background, don't have to have any experience. They have to be at least 18 years old and pass a FBI background check. Right, which means they have to submit their fingerprints. That's correct. And, it, do, and in Texas, do you also have to go through Texas DOJ, Department of Justice, as well as FBI, or is it just well, it FBI? Goes through, it, it goes through, uh, they do a state agency check and, of course, the FBI uh, system as well. Okay, all right, very good. Very good, and I know you guys in Texas have a huge um, viable continuing education program for your licensees, which is really well done, I, I believe. Yes, we do. I do wish we had that in California, but it wasn't possible to get that passed through legislation. Unfortunately, but that's another subject. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so, Mark, I, I know you um, are interested in a lot of areas of investigation, but one of your primary specialties is criminal defense, which is what we're here to talk about today. So just how do you explain to people why you defend criminals? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I get asked that a lot. You know, you can't go a day without watching a news story uh, about some heinous crime or, you know, a serial killer being convicted or being captured. And, and every time they show a, a person, you know, whether it be a mugshot or, uh, you know, a, a Facebook photo of someone that's a suspect, you know, the, the public automatically assumes guilt. They don't assume guilt. They actually know the person is guilt, guilty. Right. <laughs> that's exactly uh, true. Right. And you know, I've I've always, you know, even in the days when I was uh, uh, an OSI special agent, you know, I, I kind of had a different mindset from my colleagues, where I always felt, you know, what we, we need to keep, you know, our investigations need to be, uh, in addition to being thorough, they need, you know, we can't have a bias. We have to mm-hmm. just gather the facts and 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 we don't determine guilt. We let the facts determine guilt. And, uh, you know, and I, I, 
I've, I had a lot of conflict with a lot of people throughout my career about, uh, and I continue to have conflict with people, especially law enforcement, because they, you know, once a person is alleged to have committed a crime, they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're presumed to be guilty. And uh, uh, I just don't look at it that way. I think everyone has a, a you know, should have a fair shot at, uh, uh, you know, at, at innocence. And, let you know, the facts should be the things that um, speak to a person's guilt. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, and where do you think, Mark? Where did you where did you come up with that ideology? Where you where you thought people needed to be objective? I mean, because because the majority of people don't get there with that idea. So how did how did you come about to that point? Well, you know that's that's a good question. Um, I, I I I think it probably. Um, a good way to answer that would be, I guess, I'm just a product of my environment. And my, my environment, I would, I would say my, you know, my home life, my family, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, my, my upbringing, um, you know, and so it, it, it didn't, it wasn't difficult for me. I, I guess it was just a natural progression in my, in my thinking and, um, I mean, so I don't, I don't, I don't really have a, a, there wasn't a moment in, in my life where I, where, you know, the light came on. It just, I just always kind of felt that way. Well, um, and you know, it's really interesting that even when people are acquitted, um, <laughs> there's, there's no belief in that they should be acquitted. Like, for instance, in the past few days, obviously, you know, we've been seeing the OJ case over and over. But in the, even in the past few days, the Robert Blake case has come back up about whether he was guilty or not. This morning, the Casey Anthony case came back up. Uh, so it's really interesting to me that the court of public opinion doesn't buy it even when people are, are deemed not guilty by uh, really a qualified jury. Well, you know, they, you're exactly right, and it's sad. You know, when, when someone spends, you know, 25, 27, 30 years behind bars for a crime that they didn't commit, you know, uh, and, and for them to, to be, you know, released, there's, you know, it's, there's just a, <laughs> there's no parade. There's no hand clapping. Mm-hmm. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, hooting and hollering. It, it I can't imagine what it would be like to be locked up knowing I didn't commit a crime that 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 someone has said that I committed. Uh, I, I just I can't I can't comprehend what what it would be like spending thirty years in jail for something that I didn't do. Yeah, and yet, I can't either. When, when when these people are released, there's no there's no. I mean, they're victims. They've been victimized by the system. And there's, you know, we, we, we quickly forget them. And yeah. uh, it's, it's and sad. You're right. And they continue to be victimized, actually, because now they're, they're you know, 20 or 30 years out of prison. I mean, tw- in prison, they have no skills. They haven't been through the new technology, the new ways of doing things. Um, and they're probably, you know... 50, 60 years old, where, where are they going to go? And, exactly. you know, they, I was going to say the astonishing thing to me that I didn't know until about a year ago 
is that if you get out of prison on parole, you get what they call gate money. You know, you get enough money for, I guess, bus fare to get you someplace and maybe on one night's <laughs> hotel or something. I think in California it's about $200. I don't know where it is elsewhere. But if you get exonerated, completely exonerated of the charges against you, you get nothing when you walk out of Absolutely. prison. <laughs> and that, that, to me, that's a, that's, a, that's a travesty of justice. That is, that is so unfair. It's amazing um, to me. And then, and then if you get compensation in the state, you have to fight for that. And some, some don't even get that at all. So yeah. it's amazing. And, you know, that, that's exactly why I do what I do. That's, that's why I think uh, a number of PIs that specialize or conduct criminal defense investigations uh, do those types of investigations. I, I, I go into every case, no matter how, how minor or how major it is, to, to look at, okay, there's two sides of a coin. There's a guilt and there's innocence. You know, mm-hmm. what, what side does this guy or gal fall on? Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge him. I'm gonna look at the facts. Let the facts determine that. And it's so sad. Where you know, you the, the thing I really love about my job is to to look at what law enforcement does. Look at look at their investigation. And I will tell you, in a, in a majority of the cases that that I've been involved with, they are shoddy investigations. They're investigatively insufficient. They're not thorough. They're not. They're they're very biased. Um, you know they 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 got, they got a hold of. They locked on to one suspect and they stick with it and they exclude everyone else. So it's like they get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I I really enjoy what I do and, and I feel I'm I have a lot of passion in doing it because, you know I I want to find fault in the state's case. Because you're talking about a person's future is 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 at risk. Exactly. And um, you know, so if 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 there's if if we can show you know reasonable doubt, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's extremely important. I so, I, but the problem in, in in criminal defense investigations, the problem in prosecutions uh, that I see is you know our system of justice. It's guilty until proven innocent, mm-hmm. and it's not innocent until proven guilty. That's that's just that's just a, a nice way of saying, look how wonderful our judicial system is. We we consider everyone. You know, this is our right. We consider everyone innocent until they're proven proven guilty. Well, to me, that's BS. It's just not true. You're right. No, so let's take a quick true. let's let's take a quick break, Mark. We'll be right back. Okay. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Mark Gillespie is my guest today, and we're discussing criminal defense. So, Mark, was there an impetus that uh, started you specializing in criminal defense, or did you just feel like that was the path you wanted to take? Well, it it was the, you know, when I started my company in 2004, um, you know, I, I, I looked at, okay, I, I can do so many different types of investigations, I consider myself a full, full service investigative agency. Uh, being an OSI special agent, you know, we we got we had to do everything. We had to investigate every every type of you know felony offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from crime, you know, white collar crime to you know to uh, uh, counter espionage uh, or espionage rather, and and uh, in between all of that is uh, you know murders and. Uh, assaults and child abuse and and uh, you know property crime. Uh, so I could I could pretty much inv- I was I was skilled at investigating just about everything. Um, but then when you when you start your business, you look at okay, what what really am I going to do? And I say, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to continue to do everything. Well, that's probably not the smartest business decision. Um, and I tell a lot of people that come into the business that you know. Um, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, if, if, if an attorney wants to hire you and they look at, well, you're a full service investigative agency, um, they might think, well, you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And I want, I want to find the best PI that, that, you know, that, uh, you know, that specializes in, in a particular investigative discipline. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, so I went through a number of years just kind of, taking on all types of cases. And, and I think as, 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 as the cases came and, and the years went by, I was, I was just doing more and more, you know, criminal defense. And I just decided, you know, this is, this is what my niche should be because, you know, I've got a forensic background, which, which comes into play on all these cases. Um, you know, I've got a strong investigative, you know, background, um, so it, it, it just kind of moved in that direction. And so right now I, I do, 
you know, I would probably classify my business as being, uh, you know, probably 80, 75 to 80% criminal defense work. I do a lot of court appointed cases, um, you know, indigent defense here within Travis County and Williamson County. Um, and I, I, I really enjoy that. It doesn't pay a lot, but you know, I get, I get the cases, I get a lot of volume and, uh, you know, we get some dismissals and we get, you know, plea deals. And so I think we provide a good service. Well, I also, uh, it seems to me, uh, my experience that you get funding to do more in court appointing cases than you do with often limited funding in retained cases. So you can you can really explore some areas that need to be exploring. Or sometimes when people are paying for an attorney, there's not a lot of funds available left for an investigation. Right. That, that's that's a very good point. You're exactly right. So um, we, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's, it's fine. Go ahead. I'm just going to ask you: uh, Can you can you describe what an investigator conducting a criminal defense investigation actually does? If you were to do your best investigation uh, on a criminal case, what would you do? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question, um, and I, I don't know how a lot of others would would answer it. But you know, it, it it pretty much gets down to, from my my point of view, is you know you have to really understand what the case is about, understand what what what's being what your client is being charged with what's the crime that was committed. Um, you know, when I get, when I get appointed or when I get hired, uh, I, I, you know, you work closely with, with uh, a defense attorney who's going to handle the case. And that case is either going to go to court or there's going to be a, a, a plea deal or, or, you know, it's going to be one of those things or the person just may be released if, if the state elects not to prosecute based on, you know, evidence that may come up. But, you know, what I do is I, I basically, you know, try to attempt to gain a, a very thorough understanding of what, you know, what the allegation is, what the crime is that's been committed, uh, who are the victims involved, you know, looking at the, reading the, you know, doing all the, the research through discovery, looking at the offense reports, the statements, uh, anything that we can get our hands on. You know, we conduct background checks on on all the people that are involved. See what uh, you know. See what's in their background. See what skeletons they have in their closets. Um, you know, interview witnesses. Uh, you know, the, if if it involves uh, forensics, for example, if there was a crime scene, look at the crime scene uh, evidence. Look at the you know how the crime scene was processed. How evidence was analyzed. So it's basically just looking, you know, it's kind of like a gravel pit. You know, you're, you're turning over every single rock in that gravel pit to look mm-hmm. for something under it that, uh, that's going to tell you something about, you know, about that case and about your defendant. Um, would you say, so Mark, yeah. would you say that you take a case and you actually redo everything that's been done by law enforcement? Yeah, I look very closely at what law enforcement's done because that's where you're going to find out. Well, that, that, that's going to tell you what road, that, what path they went down to come to their conclusion to convince the prosecutor that the defendant committed this crime. And you know, I, we've had some 
you know, successes by showing that, you know, they've, they've, you know, a lot of the investigators, uh, law enforcement, they've been very narrow-minded in their scope. They've excluded, you know, persons of interest. Uh, they didn't talk to certain witnesses. They didn't talk to, uh, you know, uh, certain people that, that could you know, that have a story to tell. So, yeah, basically it's, re, it's reconducting the investigation that, that the law enforcement agency did and looking, looking at, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses were. And in most cases, there, there are probably more weaknesses than there are strengths. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a, I mean, that's a, a good way to look at it is just to re, reinvestigate it and, uh, you know, if it were my case, if I were the one that was investigating it from law enforcement, you know, what would I do? What mm-hmm. kind of uh, investigative plan would I, would I come up with that's different from what the investigative plan that the law enforcement came up with? So. Yeah, and, you know, at the, at the same time, there's a lot of very good law enforcement officers that do a thorough job and that aren't biased. Like, because what what happens to us, Mark, is we run into those that are being challenged. So we're not seeing necessarily the ones that have been done correctly all the time. You're right. You know? and I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing I think is that um, we need to look at what the job of law enforcement is. It's not really to solve a crime but which is the general concept i think of what happens but their job is to establish enough evidence to have the district attorney file the case and then it's up to right. the district attorney to achieve what their objective is of course is to get a conviction but that isn't always the case so um, well you th- you bring up a good point and and again I, i'm glad you you Kind of uh, made a little disclaimer there that uh, it, I, I don't. I certainly don't mean to imply or intend that all law enforcement is, you know, unprofessional or biased or not very thorough. Um, not. not I, I don't want to say that at all. Um, there are a number of cases where that is the truth, and a lot of the cases I get involved in, I I, I find just that. Right. But. There's, there's another thing that we could look at, and you brought it up. It's the district attorney. I've seen cases where the investigators feel that they don't have much of a, a case against a defendant, but it's the prosecutor who says, I mean, they're putting their hands over their ears saying, I don't want to hear that. We're going to go with this. So they, so they fashion a case based on, you know, the 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 investigators report but but they they make it fit so they can prosecute the person i mean the the, the grand jury system i think that i mean that's i've seen a lot of people anybody can get indicted by a grand jury oh i know uh, it's horrible i mean i'm convinced I agree. Of that so so a lot of times you know even even a an investigator's case file is not going to be very strong against a a defendant but by gosh, that defendant will will get indicted, and then and then you know next thing you know that train's left the station and it's on a very slippery rail, <laughs> and it's hard to stop one of those. 
You know, yeah. the other thing that happens on a grand jury that just drives me crazy is that uh, they'll bring in all kinds of witnesses a- into the grand jury, of course, where we know that nobody nobody's represented by counsel. They can't have anybody there with them as support. It's on their own. And then they turn around and indict the witnesses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's okay. So I did my civic duty to come in and testify. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm in jail. Mm -hmm. yeah i hate it when my hands are behind my back i know i just hate that (laughs) in these these thick iron bracelets right exactly they're not very attractive either they need to come up with a better plan at least at least (laughs) for girls i think don't you think bracelets for girls yeah i could see that especially in today's uh, political correct uh environment but, but you know, often what happens, I mean, you bring up a really good point. Often what happens with that prosecutor and the, and the uh, desire to go forward is the political pressure or the pressure that's being put on them by either their supervisor, the elected district attorney, or maybe a, the family of a victim. Yeah, we see, we see that a lot. And that's, that is an excellent point. I mean... I'm I'm all in favor of victim advocacy groups. Um, I, I think they play an important role, um, and and I'm I'm not going to say anything bad about them at all. But I but I see some people. Uh, in fact, I'm working some cases now that I I personally feel that the DA is under an extreme amount of pressure to prosecute a case or cases because of the family pressure. And, and, and let's just, let's just say maybe that family is well connected with the state senator or state representative. So guess what? There's, there's, there's a lot of coercion or a lot of duress that's, uh, that's going to play into this. Absolutely. And that happens. And, and, you know, the other thing is that, you know, no, only if you're behind the scenes, do you see this, but it's the charging practices, you know, you can, you can commit, uh, a heinous crime in one, say, county, and this happens, I know, both in Texas and California. In one county, you could get charged with a death penalty. In another county, you won't. Yes. And so, it, <laughs> so the charging practices are really unequal across well, the country. Well, what, what we're finding in Texas, for example, is uh, just about, I shouldn't say just about, many, many... Uh, assault cases that I work, uh, you know, they're enhanced with, uh, you know, they're a family violence case, but they're enhanced with strangulation. And, uh, you know, the person may not have, you know, attempted to strangle. They just may have put their hands on the person's neck or cheek. And then they, so it's adding, you know, it's, it's just piling on. It's adding charges that, um, that don't necessarily pertain to the crime, but, you know, they're, and then they may drop them later, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just not, to me, it's just not a very fair or proper practice. It's not yeah, ethical. And the, and the damage is already done for that person. So does, how much does uh, strangulation charge add? Do you know? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't, I, I don't really know. That's okay. I don't um, but either. It, but, it's, but it's, you know, it's just something that you don't want to have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, well, I, for exa- a good example of that is sometimes they'll add kidnapping, which could be just a 
holding somebody in a room, for example. Yeah. You know, so anyway, on to um, other things here. <laughs> Get sidetracked. So, um, so what is your objective when you conduct an investigation? What's your main objective? Because well, I know mate. you're not, your job... Our job as criminal defense investigators is not actually to get the person off of the crime. That's it's really that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, go ahead with that. No, a lot of a lot of people that uh, that kind of goes back to your one of your first questions. You know, when people look at you funny when they say that you're defending some, you know, a serial killer. Um, you know, it, my my objective is not to get a person off. My my objective is to conduct an investigation and see, um, you know, see like I said before, see you know, see what the weaknesses in the you know, law enforcement's investigation, um, you, know, you know, see how they conducted it to look, you know, look for weaknesses. Um, my, my job is to, is to gather the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. You know, we, I just concluded a, a, um, case, we just concluded a case here in Travis County where a guy was, uh, he got life in prison. Um, and, and I, I agree with the sentence, but you know, he, he stabbed his girlfriend to death, you know, 47 times and, you know, he never was remorseful. He never was apologetic. It was all about him. Um, you know, he he looked. He was a he was a a, a a young business. Well, not a young. He was a middle aged business person that you never you look at him and you would never think that he'd plunge a knife into a woman's chest, back, and torso forty seven wow. times. But you know, I I my job was not to get him off. Or it, my job was to, you know, look at the case. What, and, you know, was was it self defense? Um, could it have been that he he was not the one that that committed the crime? Um, so so basically, it's just it's it's again to gather the facts and and, and see what the facts say and see how they fall out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take another short break. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be back right back, Mark. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. So one of the... Things. And we're back with Mark Gillespie, by the way, a private investigator from Texas who specializes in criminal defense. So um, one of the questions that often comes up is we know that the government is required to prove their case. Uh, even though, you know, if you're a defendant, you're required to, I guess, prove your innocence if you can. But the question is often comes up, if you know the person's guilty... Why does the government have to prove anything? Well, I think it's in our Constitution, um, you know, that uh, that's, that's the way our, you know, our judicial system is, is approached. Um, I've seen many cases, though, where the, the government doesn't necessarily prove their case. It's, it's what the jury feels uh, happened in a particular case, and... I, I see so many times juries going into uh, cases with, you know, with their uh, apparently with their minds already made up, um, you know, especially after we do a jury polling, uh, which is kind of a cool thing to be a part of. Uh, you know, you really get a good understanding of what, you know, how juries felt about, you know, how the case, how the prosecution and the defense was, you know, was uh, played out, how it was executed in the courtroom. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that sometimes jurors will say they can be objective when they have, have actually already made up their mind. That's uh, and that comes out sometimes later after the case is over. Right. Yeah. So, Mark, what absolutely has been your most challenging case? Uh, you know when you. Ask me about um, you asked me that question recently, and I've I've been racking my brains trying to come up with one or two cases that are my most challenging. Um, I think uh, I I I have a couple that I guess would would fit that classification, um, and and they're both cold cases, and what mm. one is. So anytime you have a cold case, it 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 automatic to me it automatically fits into the category of a challenging case anyway because right. it's a cold case it hasn't For been sure. solved. For sure. Um, but I'm working on a couple cold cases that um, 
my defendant, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you who it is, it's, it's Mark Norwood. And uh, Mark Norwood was arrested for the murder of Christine Morton. You, I know you've probably heard of the Michael Morton case. He was the one in Texas where he spent, I think, like 27 years in prison. The Innocence Project got involved, and mm-hmm. um, it ended up showing that uh, he did not commit the crime, or it doesn't say that he didn't commit the crime. I guess they, they were able to show that the evidence wasn't sufficient to convict him, and then it led to... You know, the prosecutor at the time, Ken Anderson, who turned up, who, who later became a judge in Williamson County, um, here in right outside of Austin, uh, you know, withheld evidence mm-hmm. that was crucial to the case. And, and then he got, uh, you know, slapped on the hand that the, the judge did. But he's still a judge, though, isn't he? No, he's not. He's not. A oh, judge, he's not. No. OK, no. But the, but that case, the, the Morton case, our, my guy, Mark Norwood, was arrested for that case because of a, a, a DNA-laden bandana. Well, there's nothing, there's really no evidence that Mark Norwood committed that crime. Mm-hmm. And yet he, he was found guilty in a, in a uh, you know, in, in a jury trial. Uh, they took they took that jury trial away from Williamson County, put it into another county, you know, miles away, and um, uh, I think it was a travesty of justice. And now they're trying to pin another unsolved cold case on Mark Norwood. So these these cases are very challenging because you know when you have a when you have a client or a defendant who doesn't who you strongly believe in that you don't feel committed the crime, he's not going to tell you, you, you you're not going to get any evidence from him because he wasn't there. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about the case. Right. And, um, so we, my job is to go out and again, uh, examine what, you know, how the investigation was conducted. And I will tell you in both the, the, the Morton case and this Baker case, it was shoddy investigation. They, they, you know, Michael, Michael Morton, the, the husband of, of um, Christine Morton, who was brutally murdered in her home, um, apparently while she slept, you know, he spent 27 years in jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but there were, there were plenty of persons of interest in that case that, that Williamson County Sheriff's Office um, they they just overlooked, and, um, and it was a very it, shoddy investigation. Yeah, and of course, so, one of the one of the biggest challenges in old cases like that is people aren't around any longer. Maybe they've passed exactly. away. Maybe uh, I mean they're not going to. How how are you going to remember what happened twenty seven years ago? It's exactly, impossible. it's impossible. How many people can't remember what happened last week? So right. And, you know, to try to determine, I mean, I would challenge any one of us to know what we were doing uh, at, it's 9.48 a.m. my time, 9.48 a.m. last year on this date. Exactly. It's just impossible to try to reconstruct. So, uh, you have a, it's a huge job, Mark. I wish you uh, 
much success in being able to gather enough facts to determine one way or the other what was going on. Yeah, well, those I think those are two of the most challenging I've I've had to deal with, and um, and now you know there's a there's a DNA issue that's coming into play, and and um, the, in the state of Texas, so it's um, it's just going to add add some more challenges to the whole to the whole mm-hmm. case. But to 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 kind of go into another um, to look at maybe the flip side not necessarily criminal defense. Another challenging case uh, that, that I conducted was uh, I'm licensed in Louisiana also, mm-hmm. and I was hired by a family whose, whose uh, daughter was sexually abused by the, the natural father. The husband and wife, or the wife was... Uh, divorced from the natural father, and the child was was you know had visitation with with the natural father, and then she comes home and a couple of days later and she's complaining about you know uh, hurting, mm-hmm. and they ended up taking her to the emergency room and the the uh, attending physician and nursing staff immediately said this child's been sexually assaulted sexually abused. They got the sheriff's office involved. Their, you know, photographs were taken. It was it was headed down the right road for you know and you know a a a, a sexual assault uh, investigation of a of a four year old girl. Okay. Well, it turns out that the I get hired because the the case is dropped. The district attorney and the sheriff's office doesn't want to investigate, and. So it was a challenge for me to, I mean, I basically reinvestigated that case, dealt with just, you know, many, many, many people and experts, and then I presented the case to the district attorney's office. Well, I'm, I'm going to read you what the district attorney read to, wrote to me. He says, Mark, our office does not have the resources to investigate or in, undertake investigations. For this and other reasons, I can't take the actions requested by you. Hmm. And that so this was a, that, that case was a huge challenge because I wanted to get it prosecuted in, in, in this particular parish in Louisiana. And then I had the DA, the highest you know, judicial officer in that parish, to say that they don't undertake investigations. That's their job. Right. So wow. anyway, that was that was a huge, huge challenge. And we're, and we're still we're still working on that case now. But um no, I just thought I'd mention that. That, you know, uh, actually, it's interesting. My husband and I, my husband is also a private investigator, and he and I had a situation in Southern California, actually at Huntington Beach, where we had done this investigation. We uh, actually talked to the perpetrator. He actually admitted what he had done, agreed. This is just amazing. He agreed to go to the police station with us. <laughs> and we, so here we are at 10 o'clock at night, taking him to the police station. He's sitting in the waiting room. We're talking to the sergeant, telling him what this guy had done, and they wouldn't take the case because the crime wasn't over, uh, I think it was $100,000. They had a threshold Holy of $100,000 for prosecution, and they wouldn't take the case. And he was right there, ready to give oh, him a boy. confession. So, <laughs> it's pretty weird out there. Yeah, so, it really is. So, speaking of weird, what was the weirdest case you ever had? 
you know, I, I was trying to define the word weird. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I, I guess I don't really have... You don't have weird cases? <laughs> I don't have a weird case. Um I, I'm I'm gonna I'm drawing a blank on that. Sorry. That's okay. Oh, that's okay. Not a problem. Um, so, you know, but this whole idea of um, protecting the rights of an individual who's charged with a crime is just so important because it does. It's it is, you know, part of our constitution. And if if that isn't available to the worst of us, how could it ever be available to people like you and me exactly and you know what we 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 always say it will never happen to me oh my gosh how many how many people do you know that get in a situation do do these people that that have been arrested and and have been incarcerated for 25 years did they ever think they were going to be in that situation not at all and you know what you know what most of them say i thought i was innocent and the system would exonerate me yeah, you know, and you know, and ultimately it has, but not without a huge cost to their lives. Yep, I mean our our constitutional rights are just so important, and you know we cannot take those lightly. Um, it's 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 sad when people's rights are violated, and it should not it should not happen. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's hard to uh, I I know you'd probably do this. Uh, it's hard to sit in court when you're working on a case and listening to the evidence, and sometimes it's so skewed. Um, it's it's really difficult, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it's very, there and listen. very hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've gone. I've left court many times with my my tongue and lip bleeding because I'm, I'm just <laughs> that bad, huh? Biting it so hard, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, where are you in the process of your cold case right now? What's the, what uh, stage is it in? Well, it's actually set for trial in September. Um, it's, um, I mean, we've we've got a strong case, uh, you know, built for his innocence. Um, but you know, just trying to overcome, you know, tr- trying to make our case is is it's it's a h- uphill battle. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be probably books and TV shows and documentaries coming out of this, uh, e- either way you look at it, but, um, Hi, you know, we're, I'm we're, we're hoping for the best. Um, unfortunately he's still in jail for the, Martin Norwood is still in jail for the, uh, Christine Morton case. And, um, uh, it was overturned on, or excuse me, the, the appeal uh, his appeal wasn't uh, accepted, so um, he's going to be, he's still in, in, in prison for life, so we'll see what happens on this Baker case. Yeah, well, good luck on that, and uh, Mark, we're at the end of our show here, and it's great having you. Uh, another episode has come to the end. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Mark. I appreciate it, and it was really well, interesting you. talking to you. I appreciate the opportunity, and you do a great service, and and we appreciate all that you do for us. Oh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. So, folks, uh, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Mark Gillespie every Thursday morning 
and noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIC Classified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIS Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.